Our sermon text this morning is Leviticus chapters 13, verses 1 through 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling, a scab, or a bright spot, and it becomes on the skin of his body like a leprous sore, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest, or to one of his sons the priest. The priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body, and if the hair on the sore has turned white, and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous sore. Then the priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. But if the bright spot is white on the skin of his body, and does not appear to be deeper than the skin, and its hair has not turned white, then the priest shall isolate the one who has the sore seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. And indeed, if the sore appears to be as it was, and the sore has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall isolate him another seven days. Then the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And indeed, if the sore has faded, and the sore has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only a scab. And he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab should at all spread over the skin, after he has been seen by the priest for his cleansing, he shall be seen by the priest again. And if the priest sees sees that the scab has indeed spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is leprosy. When the leprous sore is on a person, then he shall be brought to the priest. And the priest shall examine him, And indeed, if the swelling on the skin is white, and it has turned their hair white, and there is a spot of rash, of raw flesh in the swelling, it is an old leprosy on the skin of his body, the priest shall pronounce him unclean, and he shall not isolate himself, for he is unclean. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for letting us gather here together on the Sabbath day. We do praise you for day of rest that you give us pray for the blessing of the preaching of your word pray that jonathan is bold in his preaching and faithful to the word we do pray that you guard him from all error we do pray that you show us our sinful ways and continue to show us our our need for shepherd we ask this in jesus name amen there's two concepts that we've talked about a lot that I want us to remember as we approach this, because they are going to be really critical for how we interpret this and what it means for us. The first concept is I want you to remember back to chapter 10 of Leviticus, chapter 10 of Leviticus, where God instructed Aaron and his sons that they weren't supposed to drink any wine whenever they went into the tabernacle. And the reason being is that they needed to be able to discern between the unclean and the clean between the holy and the unholy, that this was a chief responsibility of the priest to make that distinction. This chapter and the next chapter in Leviticus are both a specific set of cases where the priests are supposed to be the expert authorities in determining the clean and the unclean, distinguishing between them. So that's the first thing I want you to remember is as we go through these two chapters that we've already got the job description. Here's what you are supposed to do as a priest. You are supposed to be able to distinguish the unclean from the clean. 
And for the next two chapters, it's a major handbook on one specific area in which the priests are supposed to be able to tell in detail, down to minute distinctions, the difference between the clean and the unclean. So if that's the first concept I want you to remember. The second concept is a straightforward one. God says in the New Testament that all believers are priests in the New Covenant. So remember, the job of the priest is to distinguish between the unclean and the clean. And we also know in the New Covenant that all of us are priests. So as we go through these two chapters and we look at the things that are told for priests to do, the priests need to be aware of, the priests need to be able to distinguish between, the priests need to be the experts, priests need to be the authorities, that this is talking about believers in some way or other. So this is about us. We are going to read about things that priests have to do when they're faced with these difficult situations, when they're faced with difficult matters of public health. The priests are given a job, and somehow or other that job translates to the new covenant for us. Now there's a couple of table setting things that we should do before we really get into this particular text. These two chapters, chapter 13 and chapter 14 of Leviticus, use the word leprosy to describe a variety of cases that would be larger than what we use the modern word for a specific skin disease of leprosy. As we work through these chapters, we're going to see the word leprosy described not only for skin diseases, but also for leprosy of cloth, leprosy of leather, leprosy of buildings even. And recognize we can't be talking about the same specific disease in all those different kinds of cases. A little bit of history is going to be helpful here. We, we, in, in modern terms, we would never talk about a house as having leprosy. That's just not the way that we use the term. The disease that we call leprosy today, the, the technical name for it is Hansen's disease. It was named after uh, a Norwegian scientist who in the late 1800s was the one who identified the bacteria that caused the skin disease of leprosy. It's actually one of the oldest recorded diseases in all of history. There are many, many different ancient sources that give old descriptions of this disease, leprosy. And when people look back at the history of diseases, this is one that we actually say, oh, this modern disease that we have, they had back in ancient Greece. They had it in ancient Egypt. They had it in ancient India. It was all spread out through the Mediterranean, through uh, the southern Asia. It's a very old disease. The word itself, leprosy, comes from the Greek. And that's the word that the translators of the Septuagint used when they were translating Leviticus 13 and Leviticus 14 out of the Hebrew and into the Greek. They were reading these chapters, and these chapters were describing a particular set of conditions, and the, the authors who were translating from Hebrew into Greek said, oh, well, we know what this sounds like. This sounds like the modern disease, you know, modern in their ancient Greek time. This sounds like the disease that we have that we call leprosy. So we're just going to use that word leprosy to describe all of these conditions that happen in these next two chapters. 
I think, I think they're basically correct when it comes to the various skin ailments. Now, it's possible that we're talking about more skin diseases than just the modern skin disease of Hansen's disease when they talk about leprosy. But I think they're basically right on that, that you've got this skin disease, and, and yet this isn't the same thing as what we talk about when we talk about leprosy of clothes or leprosy of leather or leprosy of houses. We would talk about those things more as molds and mildews, those kinds of things. But they used one particular word. They used the word lepra, which was their word for leprosy. And that translation has just carried down as this was translated into English. This, was, this is a disease that persisted all throughout Europe. So when your translators of the Bible were translating it into English, they knew what leprosy was. They had leprosy around. It had been around for a very long time. It was a very well-known disease. It was a problem disease. And they were using a medical term. But there's a little bit that's lost with using that medical term. Because the word that's, the, the word that's there in the Hebrew, the most literal translation of that word would be scourging. Every time you see the word leprosy or leper or leprous, it's some version of a word that literally would mean scourging. Keep that in mind as we go through these chapters. The, the word that's talked about here, this is talked about being scourged or being stricken. Also, by word count, Leviticus 13 is the fifth longest chapter in the Bible. Leviticus 14, by word count, is the tenth longest chapter in the Bible. So probably... Back to back, I don't know that there are two chapters in the Bible any longer than these two chapters are. Are you ready for this? Are you ready to go through the longest section of two chapters in the Bible that are talking about the disease of leprosy? It's going to be a little bit disgusting. It's going to be a lot disgusting. We're going to talk about the sorts of things that your mother tells you not to talk about that that's not appropriate dinner table discussion. We're going to talk about open wounds. We're going to talk about scabs. We're going to talk about the different colors of these things. We're going to talk about when the hair turns white. These are not pleasant conversations. And God gives us the two longest chapters in the Bible next to each other to meditate on this. Now, I realize that the, the fact that, the, you know, the, the chapters in your Bible, they're not inspired. They are arbitrary distinctions that were made up by some Catholic monk many, many years after the Bible was all put together. But the fact that the, the amount of words that God said, here, this is what I want you to meditate on as you think about this disease, is huge. That should tell us something. You think about anybody who writes, anybody who puts together a sales catalog, they are looking at that sales catalog, and when they're putting that sales catalog together, they're saying, okay, this thing right here is really important for my customer to see. I'm going to make a lot of sales from it. It's going to get a lot of space in my catalog. This thing over here, not going to make as many sales for it. My return on investment small. It's going to get a tiny little corner over here. Think about how much time God is spending in his Bible that he's putting together talking about this particular subject. 
Obviously, God cares a lot to communicate this to us. He cared a lot for the priests to know this, and he preserved it down for us. He cares a lot about us understanding it. And this is not a disease that really affects us anymore. The particular disease of leprosy is almost gone worldwide. It's not completely gone. There's roughly 200,000 cases or so per year. And 200,000 sounds like a big number, but you realize this week they said that the number of people in the world has just topped 8 billion. It's a very tiny disease. There's only 23 countries in the world where it's considered to be of any significance. One of them happens to be Nigeria. So you can think about, hey, when we talk about leprosy here, this is something that they actually have to deal with in Nigeria. But it's a disease that in many ways is, it's been dealt with. You can treat it with a set of pretty basic antibiotics if you catch it early enough, and you can actually be healed from it. So what are we supposed to learn from the fact that God is going to have us for a very long time preaching many sermons on this subject? What are we supposed to think about as we're priests looking at the duties of priests as they have to deal with this? With that, let's go into the text. Take verses 1 and 2 together. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling a scab, or a bright spot, and it becomes on the skin of his body like a leprous sore, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest, or to one of his sons the priests. Don't skip over verse 1. This might sound familiar. We, we, we're so used to these words, and God spoke to Moses, and God spoke to Aaron, and God spoke to Moses and Aaron. We're so familiar with these words. We've heard them so many times here But I want you to key in on in this particular case for a particular reason. There's two things to get from this. Number one, Moses is a representative of the civil government. Aaron is a representative of the church government. So when God's speaking to them, he's saying there's some joint responsibility for dealing with this, both by the civil authority and by the church authority. This isn't something left to just one or the other. Both have some responsibility here. But the second thing, and this one's a little harder to deal with. This one's a little rougher. Moses and Aaron, how many times have we just read through that, just skipped through it? As far as we know, the first time that anything that is said in these chapters has to actually be applied, has to actually be dealt with, is in Numbers 10. It's the first recorded case after God gives this law of having to deal with leprosy. And you know what they have to do in Numbers 10? Miriam, their older sister, rebels, actually Aaron too, but Miriam and Aaron rebel against Moses. And God comes down and he speaks and he says, why would you do this? Moses is the most humble of all men. Why would you say anything against him? And then they look and Miriam is covered with leprosy. The very first time Moses and Aaron have to apply this passage, they have to apply it to their own sister. So don't think of this as some kind of impersonal thing. This is not somebody who is going off to a university and getting a degree in in 
public health and then figuring out how they have to deal with the unwashed masses. This is Moses and Aaron who are going to have to, they don't know it at this time, but they're going to have to do this with their own sister. This is going to get personal. It gets personal for Moses and Aaron. There's no reason to assume that it might not get personal for us. I have a lot to say about verse 2. Think about swellings, scabs, bright spots, skin disorders. I don't normally say that. I don't normally say you should meditate on scabs, but it's here in the Bible. God wants us to think about swellings, scabs, bright spots. The first thing to remember is the law is dealing with externals. All throughout the law, you're dealing with external things that are pictures of internal realities. The law does not deal with internal things. The law deals with external things. But the point of that is for us to see externally what are things like inside. And in a very real sense, this is a disease that's almost completely on the outside. Leprosy is a skin disease that affects the skin and the nerve endings. And eventually, it starts to cause decay of the flesh. But it is very much an external, an outward. It's an outside thing. And that's what the law can deal with. It's a picture of sin. Probably more precisely, it's a picture of the effects of sin. What happens to somebody when they have been subjected to sin? Now think about those swelling, scabs, and bright spots. Before we get to the leprosy, swelling, scabs, bright spots, these are all signs of infections or wounds. They would be signs of the effects of sin on somebody. They would be signs of the effects of sin on a body. Something's happened that's damaged the body. But you know what else? When you think about a scab, for example, when you see that, there's actually a sign there that the body's healing itself. Things are getting better. If it's just a scab, okay, so you had a wound, you had some sin, but a scab is a sign that your body's doing what it's supposed to. Your body can deal with it. It's healing itself. This is not a problem to bring to the priests by itself. These don't require public intervention. A moral scab, if you will, is unsightly, but it's actually a sign of sanctification. It's a sign that you were damaged, that, that, that sin had some kind of an effect on you, but things are getting better. It's harmed a person in the past, but the person is healing. And as we think about this, this should have us give us some level of humility, some level of expectation when dealing with brothers and sisters in Christ. I think back to many of the things we talked about during the family summit, where we said that there's an expectation of maturity. The point is not that you look at somebody at where they are in their given level of maturity, it's where they are in their given level of maturity and then where they're going. You don't look at a baby Christian and you say, oh, it's a problem that you're a baby Christian. You only say it's a problem if they're a baby Christian if they should have grown up some. 
Like in Hebrews, you should have been teachers by now, but you're not. You should want milk. I'm sorry, you should want meat, but you only want milk. It's not a problem for the baby to only want milk. And that's the same thing. When you see somebody who's been damaged by the effects of sin in their past, we shouldn't be judging based on that alone. Because if God has them in the process of healing right then, then that's fine. We should have some humility when we look at the fact that any one of us is damaged by sin. Any one of us is damaged by sin in our past. The question is not, are we damaged by that sin? But what's happening to that damage? Is it getting better? And is it getting better is another way of saying, are you being sanctified? Are you being made holy? Is your spiritual body being made whole? We, none of us, come to Christ in states of perfection. And none of us can expect to achieve perfection until we're glorified in Christ. All of us bear the effects of sin on ourselves in some fashion or other. But the real question is, are we each on a clear and predictable path towards sanctification and towards getting better? But if you look, and that scab is more than just a scab, if it starts to look like it might be a leprous sore, then something has to be done about it. Sometimes the effects of sin are not in the process of getting better. Sometimes the effects of sin are in the process of decay, of making things worse. Leprosy is a slow progressing disease. It's a disease of the skin. It's a disease of the nerve endings. It changes the color of the skin. It causes deadening of the flesh, particularly at the extremities of the body, on the face. It can be disfiguring. We know the disease ex- has existed for a very long time. And I want to say one of my favorite little things to say. God is not the great anthropologist in the sky. Here's what I mean by that. God does not part the clouds, look down at mankind and say, oh, oh, I see there's this disease down there that they get. Uh, You know, in that disease, I could use that. That disease might be a metaphor for something. God doesn't work like that. God doesn't need to look down and figure out ways to communicate with us. Why do you think that a disease like this exists in the first place? Why do you think God put this thing on earth that has these very real, very predictable external effects and then spends two of the longest back-to-back chapters in the Bible telling us how we should think about it, what we should do with it, how we're supposed to judge it? It's not because he needed to come up with some kind of an example for us. It's because he wanted us to meditate on the fact that this is a picture of sin and what sin does to somebody. That's why he gives us the slowly creeping, visible, flesh-eating disease. So, if somebody has a swelling, a scab, or a bright spot that looks like it might be a leprosore, he is to be brought to Aaron and his sons, the priests. They're supposed to be brought to the priests for examination. Notice 
Number one, it's not particularly the job of the Levitical priests to go find these people. Their job is not to be go, going out and hunting these people down. That's not the job of the priests. Their job is to examine the people that are brought to them. But it says, he shall be brought to the priests. That means the responsibility lies somewhere else. The responsibility lies with the congregation to bring the people who might have this condition to the priests for their examination. So what are our applications from that fact? Well, first, there's a process for dealing with a person who has signs of sin that's not healing itself. You have the effects of sin, and it looks like the person is not being sanctified. Rather, they're regressing. Things are getting worse. Things are not getting better. There's a process for dealing with that. The congregation is involved, and the priests are involved. I think this is very clearly a type that is a picture of church discipline. What we have here as we go through the rest of this passage is this is a picture of church discipline. Because notice, this doesn't talk about healing leprosy. At no point in these 11 verses is it going to talk about healing leprosy. It talks about determining, examining, and declaring unclean if somebody has leprosy. And the congregation has a responsibility to bring that person up for evaluation. The congregation doesn't have the job to judge them in this case. They have the job of bringing them up to be examined. But I think it's also a picture of the, of a type that, uh, of the effect that the church should have on the world. People aside from the priests in ancient Israel, they represent those who are outside the church. And so this is a picture about how the world should be recognizing the church as priests, that is, as an authority on how to deal with sin, on how to diagnose it. The world should be coming to the church and saying, what do I do about this? The world should be looking at the church as a moral authority. The world should be looking at the church and I keep saying should be, because the world right now isn't. Because the people that God has called to be priests are not right now people who have stood up for the word of God, who have said, we understand the difference between the holy and the unholy. We understand the difference between the clean and the unclean. No, we want to say, we're just like you. The only difference is Jesus. Instead of saying, Jesus changes everything. Jesus makes everything different. The fact that the person is brought to Aaron or his sons would mean that this is a responsibility of any priest. This is not just a responsibility of the chief priest or an experienced priest. Any priest, that is any Christian, should be able to judge between cases where the effects of sin are growing in somebody and the effects of sin are shrinking. Verse 3. The priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body, and if the hair of the sore has turned white, 
and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous sore. The priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. So the priest is supposed to examine the sore. And again, this is one of those cases where the literal translation of the word is helpful. A, a literal translation of the word sore would be blow. And not like a blowing wind, blow like what happens after you've been hit. You've taken a blow to the face. So the priest is supposed to examine the blow and see if it's an indication of leprosy or literally scourging. So when you see near the end of this first leprous sore, you're supposed to think the priest is supposed to look and see if this person is suffering from a scourging blow. I think that's really illuminating for, for us as we think about how does this apply to us in a world that basically doesn't have leprosy anymore, in a world where the literal application of this doesn't really apply. What are we supposed to do with this? I think this points pretty clearly toward a picture of somebody who is very clearly under the judgment of God. God's making it evident on them that they have a scourging blow. And if somebody has a scourging blow on them, you're supposed to do something about it. You as Christians, you as priests, have a responsibility of dealing with somebody that has an obvious scourging blow. We're not saying that every case of leprosy in the Bible or out of it. We're not saying that, that, that all cases of leprosy are an indication of the specific judgment of God on a specific person for specific reasons. You know, think about somebody like Job. I'm not saying Job had leprosy. He probably had some other disease. But, but Job had a disease because God had a bet with the devil. But, but with leprosy, when the term is scourging blow, and then you look and... Every time, with one exception, every time in the Bible where you see somebody at the moment when they catch leprosy, it is very clearly an indication of God's judgment on that person for a very specific sin at a very specific time. The picture for us for what we're supposed to understand from this is really clear. So the one exception of a case where somebody gets leprosy in the Bible, but it's not a clear judgment of God on that person, is Moses when he's standing before the burning bush, and God is showing him the various signs and wonders that Moses can use when he's going to go and talk to Pharaoh. He puts his hand inside his jacket, and he pulls it out, and his hand is leprous, white as snow. All of the other cases that you have where you see somebody get leprosy in the Bible where you're there at the moment when the disease afflicts them, it's a miraculous thing where God is striking them for a particular disease. We've already talked about Miriam. Another one was Gehazi. Gehazi was a servant of the prophet Elisha. And this was at the case where Elisha had cured Naaman, the foreign soldier. He'd cured Naaman from leprosy. And Naaman wanted to pay Elisha. And Elisha says, no, 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 I don't want your money. I don't want your stuff. And then Gehazi, Elisha's servant, runs after him and says, oh, by the way, my master's changed his mind. We want the stuff. We want the money. And Elisha knows what's going on. He finds out and he says that he understands. And then there's a judgment. And Gehazi is struck with leprosy for his deceit. Another case is King Uzziah, one of the good kings of Judah. 
near the end of his life, he tries to go inside the temple in order to sacrifice, in order to burn incense at that inner altar. This is the one that only the priests could go into. And a whole bunch of priests come in. There's 80 priests there, and they're telling him, no, you can't do this. This is not right. And God strikes him with leprosy on his forehead. And all the priests drive him out, and he lives outside the camp for the rest of his reign. We don't know exactly if it happened, but David asks that Joab's house would never lack somebody with serious afflictions, among them leprosy, as a punishment for the specific murder of Abner. Every single time in the Bible, when we're there at the moment when somebody catches leprosy, it's because they did a specific sin and God was judging them in a particular way for that sin. This requires the priests to be involved. When it looks like God is scourging somebody, we have a responsibility to inquire further. We have a responsibility to examine. Again, clearly pointing towards church discipline. The application for us is that we are called to be priests. And sometimes that requires us to be involved with dealing with a sinner when the effects of sin become apparent on them. So what do we do with the hair turning white and appearing deeper than the skin? I'm not going to make too much of of the color of the hair here. I'm not going to make too much of the whiteness of it. I don't know what to do with that. Other than to say, this is a case where you're talking about something's obviously changed. Something obviously looks different. Something is obviously not normal. When they look at that particular wound, it's changed, it has clear signs, and those clear signs are evident and plain. Now the congregation, the congregation's required to be familiar enough with these signs that they can recognize, hey, you ought to get that looked at. You need to go to the priest. If you don't go, we're going to take you. That's supposed to be what the congregations, they don't have to be the experts in it, according to this text. They don't have to be the ones who are the ones who are examining and judging, but they have to have enough understanding to say, hey, this doesn't look right. This looks like it's not healing. This looks like it's going the wrong way. The congregation has a responsibility there. This is every human being's responsibility. None of us are going to be left without judgment. None of us are going to be left with a case where it's like, oh, I didn't know. You have a responsibility. There are things that are plain. But then the priests are required to be proficient in recognizing those signs and seeing if this really is a case of something serious or if it's not. And then it says the priest is supposed to examine and pronounce unclean if these clear and evident signs are there. In other cases, the way that you deal with uncleanness is by waiting or washing or washing and waiting, sometimes washing and waiting and a sacrifice. But in all those other cases we've seen where somebody's been unclean, there's a way to deal with that uncleanness. That uncleanness is usually a temporary uncleanness. Maybe you're unclean until evening. Maybe you're unclean until a period of impurity has passed. 
there's a way of dealing with that uncleanness. This case is different. This case is a little bit different. Later on in the chapter, we're going to see that there's no remedy for this uncleanness. There's nothing When the priest declares you unclean here, there's nothing that can be done. You can't just go wash your clothes. You can't wait until evening. You can't sacrifice an animal. Instead, the person who's declared unclean here is required to go outside the camp. They're supposed to live in shame and in isolation. They have to cover their mustache, the text says. They have to uncover their head. They have to tear their clothes. They have to shout, unclean, unclean, and they have to live outside the camp in isolation. So when the priest is declaring somebody unclean here, this is more significant than the other kinds of uncleanness that we've seen before. Because you can't just wait this one out. As long as the sore is on the person, they are unclean and have to live outside the camp. Uncleanness has a serious immediate consequence. It prevents a person from participating in any of the tabernacle activities. Most importantly, it prevents a person from participating in the peace offering. You can't be unclean and eat the peace offering that says, I'm right with God. But all those other kinds of uncleanness that we've looked at to this point, they have a time stamp on them. You know that there are things that you can do to make yourself clean. You know you can wait it out a little bit. This one, if this uncleanness is on you and the priest sees it and the priest declares it, then you have to live outside the camp until you're better. Until the mid-20th century, there was no cure for leprosy. It's this slow, slow creeping disease. It wasn't a disease. It wasn't like the Black Plague. It wasn't like syphilis. It wasn't like tuberculosis. It wasn't something that came on you and you knew you were going to die pretty quickly. This was a disease that took a long time to develop. It might have taken a long time to show up. But until the, the bacterium was identified that caused leprosy, and until various tests could be done to see what antibiotics could be used to treat it, there's no cure for it. If you got this disease... It was with you for the rest of your life. So what's our analog here? What does this mean when the priest is declaring unclean and then subsequently the person has to live outside the camp? It's pretty clear that this is talking about a type of excommunication. It's pretty clear that this is a case where the Christians have to look at a person and they have to say, You have sin on you. The effects of sin on you are such that it's clear you're not being sanctified. You're not being healed. You're not getting better. The spots and blemishes are not getting smaller. They're getting worse. The spots and blemishes on you are getting worse. Therefore, you don't have a testimony that you can be one of us. You have to be outside until those things are better. Until we can see the signs that those sores are going away, you have to live outside the camp in isolation. Verses 4 to 6. 
But if the bright spot is white on the skin of his body and does not appear to be deeper than the skin and its hair is not turned white, then the priest shall isolate the one who has a sore seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. And indeed, if the sore appears to be as it was and the sore is not spread on the skin, then the priest shall isolate him another seven days. Then the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And indeed, if the sore has faded and the sore is not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only a scab, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. So if the spot is white, but it's not deeper than the skin, you're supposed to isolate for seven days. Sometimes, sometimes even for the priests, the specific nature of the disease is in question. Literally, the priest is only dealing with the ability to see things that are skin deep. And this happens to us too when we're dealing with sin. Our ability to deal with the sin in another person, in many ways, is only skin deep. We can only deal with the surface level things. And sometimes those surface level things, it's not really clear what we're dealing with. If we're dealing with a person who is being sanctified, who's getting better, or if we're dealing with a person who's not. Verses 2 to 3 describe a case where the sin in the person is evident enough then no further investigation is necessary. You don't need any additional time to look at that person. The priest examines them and they say, you obviously have got the effects of sin on you in such a way that it is justified in putting you out. Our analog for that would be something like a gross and heinous sin. You know, we don't need to do a further investigation if somebody has got a gross and heinous sin. If they have one of those sins that God says, these kind of people don't go to heaven, these kind of people don't inherit the kingdom of God, then you don't have to do a further, deeper investigation in that kind of case. You're justified in saying, the man committed adultery, put him out. But not all cases are like that. Not all cases are so clear as that. There are some cases where some of the symptoms are there, but not all of the symptoms Some of the symptoms are there, but they don't look as severe as that. And so what do you do in that case? You give it time. First Timothy 524 talks about some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. But those of some men follow later. And I think this these two cases that we've looked at here are very much 1 Timothy 5.24. Some men's sins are evident. Other men's sins follow later. And this is giving us a little bit of a handbook for sometimes you've got to wait it out. Sometimes the congregation has been astute enough to say, that doesn't look right. That doesn't look like a normal scab. That looks like something that might turn into something it shouldn't. Let's take you to the priest. Let's go find out. And in those cases, the priest's responsibility is... Let's isolate and test for a time. Sometimes you need additional data, and time can give you that. The real question for the priest in a borderline case is not necessarily what the wound looks at at the time when he first examines him. In a borderline case, the real question is, is this getting better or is this getting worse? God has his all Christians on a path of sanctification. 
So when somebody comes with a certain sin, the question is not necessarily how bad is that sin? Other cases it is. Other cases, gross and heinous sin, that's enough right there. But in some cases, it's just like, hey, you've got this sin. Is this sin being dealt with? Are the effects of this sin growing in you or are they diminishing in you? The Bible provides plenty of examples of what what isolation might look like in the New Covenant. Isolation is something that's clearly between the case of you're fine, you're a member in good standing, or you're excommunicated. It's neither one of those. It's somewhere in between. And when you go through your New Testament and you look at the kinds of things that you have to do with somebody who's somewhere in between, you see that this would be things like, it could be public rebuke. It could be, hey, we can't just pretend that everything's okay with this person. We have to say something publicly. It could be suspension from duties. It could be suspension from the Lord's table. It could mean withdrawing for a time, like you're supposed to do with somebody who's a busybody. You're supposed to withdraw from them. But that's not excommunication. And it's also not just saying, hey, everything looks like it's okay, because something looks like it's not okay. It could be extended counseling. It could be, all right, so we need to spend a lot of time talking about this one to see where it is. Because this might be a matter that needs to go to the church. Might be a matter that's getting better on its own. And then the priest is supposed to examine on the seventh day. I'm interpreting the application of the seventh day to mean that you have to give the matter enough time. Seven is a matter, it's a number of perfection. It's a number of completion. So the priest is supposed to give it a week. And I don't think that for us that we're supposed to woodenly translate that to say, oh, somebody's got a sin, and after seven days, you can tell if that sin's getting better or if that sin's getting worse. You have to give it the time that it takes. You have to give it whatever time is needed. Some sins, that time is going to be really short. You know this with your children. You know hey, this child's in sin, and the way that they get out of sin is they go and they say, I'm sorry to mom. They go and they wash the dishes. You know you know the amount of time that it takes to get those two pieces of data is very short. We're talking minutes, not seven days. Other times, there's certain sins where to see what effect that that sin is having on that person, we might be talking weeks, we might be talking months, we might be talking years. You have to give it enough time to get the data that you need in order to make a judgment. Because remember, you can't see hearts. You're dealing with the external things. And if there's no change when you look at it, when you think there's been enough time, when you look at it on day seven, or whatever the metaphor for day seven is in a given case, If there's been no change, you know what he says to do? You repeat. You you keep the person in isolation, and then you look at him again after enough time has passed. And what's the priest looking for? The priest is looking to see, has this thing faded? 
If it's faded, then there's a sign, hey, this thing's getting better. And if it's getting better, then you deal with them differently than putting them outside the camp. Don't be hasty to make a judgment in a case that's not clear. This is talking about patience and judgment. It's saying on the one hand, you do have a responsibility to judge. You do have a responsibility to judge the effects of sin on a sinner in your congregation. But you don't have to rush in it. If it's not clear what God's doing with this person, then take your time. Find out what you need to find out. Give God time to work on this person. See if this is something that's healing or if it's something that's getting worse. God asks us to judge on external fruits. Sometimes you've got to wait to see what fruit a person's going to bear. And God says that it will be evident. And if you see that it's faded, then you treat it, it's just a scab. Remember scabs? It's just a scab. You have an expectation that this person is recovering. You have an expectation that this person is being sanctified. It might be slowly. It might be slower than you want. It might be slower than they want. But if they are getting better, then God says, fine, that person should go. They should wash their clothes and they should be clean. What are we supposed to make of that bit about washing their clothes? Well, if somebody's brought to the priest because of signs that their sin is enough, that the damage of sin is enough, that it's evident, that you looked and said, hey, that doesn't look normal, that doesn't look quite right, then there probably really is something there that needs to be repented of. And the wash that washes clothes, this is a picture of repentance. This is Isaiah 1, 16 to 17. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doing from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. This isn't talking about, later on in this chapter, we're going to see a funny case. You're going to see the case where, where he doesn't have leprosy, he's just balding. You don't have to worry about that. The guy who's just going through male pattern baldness, he doesn't have to wash his clothes or anything. He's just balding. That's fine. But this is talking about a case where, hey, there really was enough justification for getting this thing looked into. And the person really does have responsibilities to repent. And one of the ways that you'll know that they're getting better is they do those things externally that are signs of repentance. They wash their clothes. They make themselves clean. They cease to do evil. They learn to do good. Verses 7 and 8 gives us another case. But if the scab should at all spread over the skin, after he has been seen by the priest for his cleansing, he shall be seen by the priest again. And if the priest sees that the scab has indeed spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is leprosy. This is talking about a spreading scab. I take it that this case is a situation where somebody came to the priest the priest went through the process of examination, isolation, cleansing, and then said, you're clean, you go home. And then after that process was completed, the scab spreads on the skin. 
That's what I think is going on in this particular section, is this is somebody that the priest looked at, and the priest was justified in saying, hey, this looks like it's getting better. Wash your clothes, go home. Because the priest is only dealing with external things. And then you know what happens? Is that scab shows up. But it's not just a scab in one place, it's a scab that's grown. Now what do we expect from scabs? I know, your mother did not want you to talk about this right before lunch today. It's in the Bible, though. It talks about it a lot, so we're going to talk about it. Well, you expect when you get a scab for that scab to eventually shrink and fall off because the skin underneath it regenerates and heals, and then everything looks new and normal again. What you don't expect after you get a scab is for that scab to grow and there to be more scabs. What is this? Go- what are we talking about here? Well, notice that the priest has to examine the person again. And the evidence in question is not discolored skin. It's not white hairs. It's not other plain signs of leprosy. It's simply that the scab is spread. A scab is a sign that the body's been damaged and that it's healing itself. But think about what this means for us morally. If you look at a person who's now showing after they went through the process of cleansing that they're not actually getting better in a sense, but that they have more places where they're wounded and now look like they're healing. I think that this is a picture of somebody who's constantly sinning and constantly repenting. We're making outward signs of repentance. This is somebody who recognizes that they have a problem, but they keep getting wounded, and it keeps getting better, but it's spreading. It's getting worse. It's happening. The same thing's happening over and over. And you know you've got data from it where you looked at it at this point, and it looked like this, and now it's spread. It's all over the place. Is this you at the Lord's Supper? We're supposed to confess and repent our sins at the Lord's Supper. But do you come to the Lord's Supper and confess the same sins every week? Do you come to the Lord's Supper with the same problems recurring that are being wounded and scabbing over and then come back the next week and it's the same thing? Are you confessing those same sins over and over instead of actually being sanctified from them? instead of actually being healed from them. And in this case, the priest immediately declares them unclean. Like the first case we looked at, the presentation of the disease is enough for the priest to declare a man unclean without isolation, without additional examination. And why? Well, because what you need in the borderline cases is you need time. And the priest has had the time here. They've got two separate sets of data. They know what they looked like when they examined them initially. And now they know what they look like down the road. And they say, your sin's getting worse. It's causing you more damage. You're not showing signs of healing and getting better. Your spots and wrinkles are growing. They're not shrinking. For us, this would be a clear case of somebody who's been dealing with sin. They go through the steps of repentance, and yet they fall into worse levels of sin. 
And that sin by itself doesn't have to be anything significant. This isn't necessarily talking about gross and heinous sins. It's just talking about not getting better from the same sins over and over. Remember, it's not about the sin itself. It's about the trajectory that a person's on in their path toward sanctification or away from sanctification. 2 Peter 2, 20-21 For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. In the last case, verses 9 to 11. When the leper sore is on a person, then he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall examine him, and indeed if the swelling of the skin is white, and it has turned the hair white, and there is a spot of raw flesh in the swelling, it is an old leprosy on the skin of the body. The priest shall pronounce him unclean, and shall not isolate him, for he is unclean. So this one sounds very similar to the first case, but there's a few differences here, and those differences are important. First, it calls it an old leprosy. So I think that means we need to go back and look at the first case and say, hey, this is somebody who's presenting something that looks fresh. It looks like leprosy might just be affecting this person. In this case, this is talking about old leprosy. Well, what do we mean by old? That particular word old there has a double meaning, and it's more often translated sleeping. This is the word when God created Adam and then wants to create Eve, he makes Adam fall asleep. It's the same word that's used there. Now, it also does mean old. So I think that I think both meanings of that word actually are relevant here. This is something that's been there for a while, but it's also been latent. It's been hidden. It hasn't been present. And now you bring this person to the priest and the priest looks at them and says, it's an old leprosy. It's something that's just being made evident. Maybe it was on a part of the body that was covered by clothes and nobody knew about it. And the person was just living it. They kept it hidden. Maybe it was a disease that was actually latent and just all of a sudden erupts and now it's obvious. But the description old leprosy is different than the first case. And the other thing that's different about this is it talks about raw flesh. The raw flesh is a different sign here. The raw literally means live. And raw flesh is the opposite of a scab. Raw flesh is where your body's been wounded, it's opened up, and it's, it's obviously not going through the process of getting better. It's not going through the process of creating an ugly encrustation over it so things look that, that, you know, the skin has a chance to regenerate. When you have raw flesh, that's really a problem. Some, some kind of intervention usually has to be done when you have raw flesh that's not scabbing over. This isn't something that you expect is just going to heal by itself. The body is not healing itself. Again, there's no need for a time of isolation. Evidence sufficient to immediately declare unclean is here. What kind of a case is this? When we think about our applications, our New Testament applications, what is this? 
Well, this is the, this is the kind of person who's had their sin covered up, who's had their sin hidden, and then all of a sudden it becomes evident that it's a really advanced case. It's so bad that the skin is open and raw. This would be, I would say this would be somebody like we talked about on the podcast with Ravi Zacharias. This is somebody that looked okay and then all of a sudden all of this stuff comes out and you say, wow, what was going on here? It was hidden and then it became, advan- it became evident and when it became evident, it was sufficient to say, hey, this person was unclean. This person should have been put outside the camp. If it's an old leprosy, they should have been put outside the camp long ago. But it's now just, just now being brought to our attention. Just now we have to deal with it. Before we get to applications, I want to draw some conclusions here. Because I've been skipping over one really big interpretation. To this point, I've been emphasizing that our responsibility is to understand that we are priests, and as priests, we're called to judge between the unclean and the clean in the new covenant. This is part of our job as Christians. But there's another type here. Remember, we're not the only priests, Jesus is the high priest. And the picture here is we are all going to be brought before Christ. We will all be brought to him. And he's going to examine us and he's going to pass judgment. He will declare unclean or he will declare you need to be isolated. He will see all the swellings, all the scabs, all the bright spots, all the raw flesh, all the white hairs, all of these disgusting things that we'd rather not talk about. All the things that we think we keep hidden. We will be brought before that priest. And that priest, he knows perfectly who we are. He's not going to judge us based on our skin. He's never going to make a mistake and call somebody clean who's really unclean. He's never going to have to look at somebody twice. He doesn't need the time that's required here for a human priest. He will know perfectly. And to some people that are brought before him, he's going to say, you are cleansed. Because he did the cleansing. He knows. And to some, he's going to pronounce them unclean. And they're going to be cast outside the camp of heaven because they're unfit to enter the heavenly temple. They're going to live in isolation all of their days. The picture we have here for the judgment on this is the difference between living in heaven and living in hell. And there are ways that we model that here on earth when we do church discipline, when we deal with the sin of brothers and sisters. But the biggest picture is really the eternal one. The biggest picture here is God is a God who judges and makes distinctions between the clean and the unclean. And he makes no mistakes in that. And there's nothing you can hide from him. Applications. All Christians are priests in the new covenant. 
and thus all have responsibility to be able to distinguish between the effects of sin that are healing and the effects of sin that are regressing. All Christians have this responsibility. All priests are, be, are supposed to be able to see, is this sin getting better or is this sin getting worse? And you know how this would work with the Levitical priests? You know that there are some priests who are better identifiers of leprosy than others. You know that there are some priests who were better at their epidemiology than other priests are. And you know that that's the way it is with Christians. Some of them are more intuitive. Some of them have better judgment here. But every Christian has the responsibility to say, when I see the effects of sin, is this somebody who's being sanctified or is this somebody who's getting worse? You have this responsibility to do this with yourself. You have this responsibility to do this with others when things become public. We have the responsibility to identify, number two, we have the responsibility to identify when the scourging blows of God are on a person and then to ratify that judgment. If it looks like God has made somebody's sin evident on the outside so much that they are under God's judgment, we as humans are supposed to look at that and, and acknowledge what God is doing and make a judgment of our own. Number three, when dealing with sin, recognize some cases are both obvious and serious enough that they require immediate and decisive steps. There are some cases that you don't need to do anything past the initial examination and say, it's really clear what's going on here. Number four, when dealing with sin, some cases are complicated and require time to determine where somebody is on the path of sanctification. Some cases are really clear, some cases are complicated. And I hope that's really obvious, but I'm saying it because the text is really emphasizing it. Number five, if you've been healed from the creeping effects of sin, if you've been healed from the sorts of sins that leprosy is prefiguring, the sorts of things that slowly rot you away, if you have been healed from that, then thank God, for it is of no effort on your part. It was of no effort on your part that you were healed and made clean. There's nothing you can do to kill yourself from leprosy. If you get leprosy, your condemnation is to live outside the camp until you're better. And there's nothing you can do to get better. Number six, if you examine yourself and you see the scourging blows of God on you, then what you can do, the only thing you can do, is make an appeal to Christ for healing because you can't do it yourself. Any attempt to do it yourself is some version of works righteousness. But if something here strikes home, if you see and hear that God has a scourging blow on you, if you have somehow or other those leprous sores, then your job is to appeal to Christ for healing 
and ask him to cleanse you. Heavenly Father, thank you for the text that you have given us. Thank you for requiring us to meditate on this. Thank you for requiring us to to consider unpleasant things. That we might consider them now. That we might consider the unpleasantness of sin now. While you still might sanctify. While you still might make whole and clean. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.